0: Let's open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 6 for this great Bible study. Right? Dennis said it was, so I guess (laughs) not like I have to live up to anything. We are in Revelation chapter 6 in our uh, chapter by chapter and verse by verse study of this great last book of the Bible. The topic we're going to find this morning Jesus sets in motion the future great tribulation by opening the first six seals of the scroll. The title of our message, On with the Scroll, This Is It. (laughs) Father, thank you so much for uh, bringing our friend and uh, fellow brother in Christ, uh, Dennis, Lord, to uh, just elevate our worship and and give us a sense of the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. Pray for him, Lord, and the worldwide ministry that you've given him. And uh, Lord, continue to give him health and strength and the wonder of your love. I pray, Lord, that as we've gathered together now to understand your word, uh, that we would remember that uh, prophecy is extremely practical, that it, uh, first of all, points us to you and to your grand design for the world and for us in the world. You would speak to us individually and personally, Lord. We wouldn't get sidetracked on uh, non-necessary details, but uh, focus on those things which are are pleasing to you. We thank you and praise you. We do it in Jesus' name. And those who agreed said, Amen. Shadow facts, Lord of all horses. He's the white steed in the Lord of the Rings who bore Gandalf on his Middle Earth missions. A horse of Rohan, the chief of the Mirass, he was noted for his speed, like an arrow. Trigger, Silver, Cochise were once household names thanks to television. Sea Biscuit, the Black Stallion, and Hidalgo starred in equine feature films. By far beyond any doubt, the greatest of them all quickdraw mcgraw (laughs) who remembers quickdraw mcgraw raise your hand sheriff quickdraw originated the iconic saying i'll do the thinning around here and don't you forget it don't you use that every day i mean it's just pop culture at its best no matter he occasionally shot himself that's what heroes do there are at least nine impressive steeds featured in god's word four of them are in the old testament In Zechariah chapter 1, I saw by night and behold a man riding on a red horse, and it stood among the myrtle trees in the hollow. Behind him were horses, red, sorrel, and white. Then I said, My Lord, what are these? So the angel who talked with me said to me, These are the ones whom the Lord has sent to walk to and fro throughout the earth. There are five significant steeds from heaven's stable in the New Testament. The most majestic is the war horse Jesus will ride in his second coming. Revelation nineteen eleven. now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. There'll be a lot of horses when Jesus returns. We also read the armies of heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. And then there are the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the most widely known biblical horses. They are prominent as Jesus opens the seals on the scroll that he alone is worthy to take from his father's right hand. I'll organize my comments around two points. Number one, you hear the voices of the martyrs crying out in heaven. And number two, you hear the voices of the martyrs crying out on the earth. Verse 1 through 11, let's take a look at the martyrs. Now, you'll remember that the Apostle John was in the Spirit, raptured to heaven, to attend the scroll ceremony in chapters 4 and 5. Jesus, the Lion of the tribe of Judah and the Lamb of God, stepped forward as the unique person qualified to take the seven-sealed scroll from the Father's right hand. The scroll is the operational plan for the seven-year Great Tribulation. Verse 1, Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, And I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud voice like thunder, come and see. We instantly recognize certain celebrity voices. James Earl Jones is always at the top of the list. Simba, right? I mean, the guy, he's recognizable all over the world. I like his breathing as Darth Vader, but that's another thing. He's excellent, but no competition for the angel speaking with a voice like thunder. When he says, come and see... In not talking to John. The word actually there is proceed. The time is arrived for Jesus to proceed and open the seals. And I looked and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him and he went out conquering and to conquer. The colors of the horses and the outfitting of the horsemen definitely suggest certain things. We are not free, however, to treat this as a figure or an allegory. The horses of a different color are horses, and the four horsemen are supernatural beings in heaven. The first horse and rider are not Jesus Christ on his white horse. Jesus rides out of heaven to end the great tribulation, not to start it. When Jesus returns, multitudes of his saints will follow him on white horses, not three angels on colored horses. The Lord will be crowned with many crowns, not one And the Lord will defeat his enemies by the power of his word, which is depicted by a sword, not by a bow. Neither is the first horseman the Antichrist. The Antichrist will be a human being on the earth. He won't be sent out from heaven. These riders are supernatural beings, most likely angels. They are members of heaven's mounted patrol, like the horses we read about in uh, Zechariah. They have power to ensure that conditions on the earth will correspond to the first four seals. They make it so. On the Tuesday before his crucifixion, Jesus gave his disciples a talk about the great tribulation while on the Mount of Olives. We title it the Olivet Discourse, but it's also known as the Little Apocalypse. I like that, the Little Apocalypse. Matthew recorded it in chapters 24 and 25 of his gospel. It simplifies and summarizes the 18 chapters in the Revelation that describe the seven year Great Tribulation. And so we are, we're going to have uh, 18 chapters in the Revelation that Jesus condensed into a talk that lasts, uh, re- well, really, chapter 24 is what covers it for the most part in, in uh, Matthew. Now, Jesus understood the seven years to have a very definite beginning, midpoint, and end. Here's what he said about its inception. Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. We're going to see that kind of stuff mirrored in Revelation chapter 6 here with the opening of the six seals. And the first thing Jesus mentioned in his talk was false Christs. The Antichrist will be the ultimate false Christ. The color and the equipping of the first horse and the rider suggest the conditions necessary for the Antichrist to bring peace in a volatile atmosphere of wars and rumors of wars. We know from other scripture that the Antichrist will sign a treaty with the a nation of Israel guaranteeing to keep the peace We know, too, that peace is the condition on earth at the start of the Great Tribulation because in a minute in verse 4, we're going to see that a peace is taken away. And so the first horseman guarantees the conditions on the earth that bring forth the Antichrist. When he opened the second seal, I heard a second living creature saying, come and see, and another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and that people should kill one another and there was given to him a great sword. Wars and rumors of wars is how Jesus put it to his disciples. Of course, in addition to wars, people kill one another in many other ways for many other reasons. Think of any apocalyptic movie worth its salt. Almost from the beginning, little groups form that are violent and that they go against others to take their resources from them and to abuse them and to kill them. And so these are going to be the kind of conditions that are on the earth Uh, During this uh, beginning, really, of the great tribulation, the red horse and the rider ensure the conditions on the earth are tumultuous. Verse 5 Then he opened the third seal, and I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. Do not harm the oil and the wine. There will be famines, Jesus said in his little apocalypse. A denarius was a day's wage for a laborer. The measures of wheat and barley would be less than one person required each day, and so there's a scarcity of food. Oil and wine are luxuries. It suggests that there will be a severe gap between classes. We'll see this later in Revelation when we talk about the rebuilt city of Babylon. The black horse and the rider ensure famine conditions on the earth. Could be as a result of the wars, but not exclusively. There are many ways the food supply could be affected. Think back about a year ago to the beginning of the COVID-19 situation that we're in. You couldn't find toilet paper. That's the first thing to go, people. You should have a garage full of toilet paper for bartering In the end, hey, you got some rye crisp crackers? I've got a roll of toilet paper for you right here. So anyway, I can't park my car in my garage anymore. No, No, I'm not stockpiling. How many is stockpiling? A thousand? No, I'm just kidding. The black horse and the rider ensure this food supply uh, is scarce. Verse seven, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, come and see. So I looked and behold... Pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, hunger, death, and by the beasts of the earth. Death and Hades are inseparable companions in the Bible. You could make a buddy movie about them, but it would be very dark indeed because of their uh, assignments. From Adam and Eve until the resurrection of Jesus, after death, Everyone went to Hades. It consisted of two areas. One was a place of comfort for believers awaiting heaven. The other was a place of torment for those who died in their sins awaiting hell. We learn this uh, mostly from the story of the rich man and Lazarus in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus conquered death when he died on the cross. Then he descended to Hades, and when he ascended to heaven, he brought the righteous dead with him. When post-resurrection believers die... We no longer spend time in Hades. We are immediately absent from our bodies and present with the Lord. The unrighteous dead are still consigned to Hades to await their final judgment. So if you're a believer, if you die, you're absent from your body and present with the Lord in heaven. You don't go to Hades anymore waiting. The wait is over. If you're not a believer, your spirit uh, goes to Hades to await final judgment in Revelation chapter 20. So that's what's happening. The Pale Rider is identified as Death, and Hades seems to walk alongside him. Death and Hades are not their names. Sticking with Westerns, in the film Tombstone, you might remember that Wyatt Earp announces his intention to execute his wrath upon the cowboys. He tells Ike Clanton, run you cur, and tell the other curs the law is coming. You tell them I'm coming, and hell's coming with me. You hear, hell's coming with me. Wyatt Earp was coming, not the law and not hell. Likewise for death and Hades. When the pale rider appears, death is coming and Hades is coming with him. So you get the idea. It wasn't their name. Uh, It's it's, it's this angel. One-fourth of the earth is killed during this time. The serial killers listed are, first of all, sword, which could refer to violence in general, Uh, neighbor against neighbor, person against person not just wars. Hunger is worse than famine, of course. There will be nothing to eat. Hungry people will take up weapons against those who have food. Death could refer to any means of death. Uh, Certainly we would think of epidemics and pandemics because we're in the midst of one. My favorite, beasts of the earth. It justifies my fear of every animal. There is no animal I can think of that I am not afraid of. I know there must be a phobia for it, animal phobia or something, but they're all I don't care how big or how small, they're killers, as far as I'm concerned. Even my own pets, they could turn on you. I've seen it in the movies time and time again. Can you say cujo? The birds? Huh? Or how about Ben? Remember Ben the rat? Yeah, if Ben gets together with cockroaches, it's over. Be totally overrun. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Jesus said, they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. People saved during the great tribulation have a strong likelihood of being martyred. This altar in heaven would correspond to the altar of incense in the Jewish temple. I really cannot visualize how these souls are under the altar without more information. One scholar insightfully pointed out, uh, and I quote, the verb tense shows this to be a single definite appeal, not one that was continually urged. And so these souls aren't just under some altar somewhere, you know, screaming for vengeance day and night. This is a Uh, one specific prayer meeting when Jesus opens the fifth seal. And if you've been following our studies, uh, uh, this is all very, very richly ceremonial in heaven. Jesus coming forth to take the scroll, now there's prayer meeting in heaven. These are things that are only going to take place one time, one time uh, in the future when the great tribulation uh, is upon the earth. And so these... Uh, the tribulation martyrs till that point will meet together at this altar and they will have this prayer meeting. And they cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Now I read this as them longing for God's righteous rule on the earth that will put an end to evil. It's a way of saying thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so it's not, it's not specifically about vengeance and revenge so much as it is about getting to the end of this period so that God's rule can begin. Interesting, a believer in the Great Tribulation will know that it lasts seven years, starting with the peace treaty that the Antichrist signs with Israel, and that it's gonna be marked by certain prophesied events at its middle and its end. Yet they ask, how long? Affliction and suffering cause us to question what we know to be true. That's why Peter said in his writing, don't consider it a strange thing when you fall into various trials, right? Because we do consider it a strange thing. We get kind of knocked off of our game, as it were, and we can begin to doubt the Lord. John the Baptist pointed to Jesus and told the world he was the Lamb of God, the Savior of the world, the one who was promised in the Old Testament. However, when languishing in prison, he sent his followers to ask Jesus, are you the one? And so if a man even as great as John could have his wonderings, so will we. And so you're in good company, but the idea is to set that aside and realize that God loves you. He's with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. Uh, and and uh, he died on the cross for you and, and suffering and affliction and those things. They are part and parcel of the Christian life, especially in the church age in which we live. We live in a time when God is most glorified through our weakness. When Jesus was on the earth, miracle, 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 miracle. Not in the Old Testament so much, but when he was on the earth, now Jesus is in heaven, and now we share in the fellowship of his sufferings. And it's not miracle after miracle, it's suffering after suffering in the strength and with the glory of God to promote uh, what a great savior we have. And so don't get knocked off your spiritual game because of your suffering. A white robe was given to each of them and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. At the martyrs under altar prayer meeting, they will be presented with a heavenly garment, a white robe and told to, enjoy their rest. Now, all believers get a white robe. Uh, This one may have its own unique designation. Great tribulation martyrs are a somewhat exclusive group, not more spiritual than other believers, just distinctive from all other believers. It'd be a very limited number, and uh, it's very unusual what they go through. And so uh, they probably get a tribulation martyr patch uh, for their white robe. Uh, I don't know if it's a severed head or what it will be exactly, but so we'll be in heaven, we'll be at the, you know, out sightseeing in the New Jerusalem, maybe doing a little shopping or something, and you see over there, hey, see that? That's a, it's a great tribulation martyr because they're flying their colors on their robe, you know, and hey, what was that like? Tell us a little bit about the great tribulation. And and so, uh, now, I'm being a little bit facetious, except for the fact that we do know that Our white robes, we have the opportunity to adorn them by our good works. And so not everybody is going to look the same. We're not all going to wear just a white robe. We're going to have adornments on it. And I think it's quite possible that their white robe will actually have designations so that we will know. Uh, And more of them are going to join the group uh, and get robed after this ceremony. God's plan to redeem sinful man and to restore ruined creation takes time. And so the Lord, to them, he says, hey, hang out for a little while longer. It's almost done. This plan of God's takes time. The, the sin of mankind in the garden, in order to redeem mankind and restore creation, it takes the exact amount of time that it's taking up until today and on into the future. And it's not that nothing is too hard for God. That's true. But think of the work God has to do. He has to take a uh, free will being who exercised his free will badly all the way through the history of Jesus Christ to die on the cross and rise from the dead in order to redeem mankind to be a free will being that can no longer sin. Uh, And and that's difficult stuff because he doesn't want to violate our free will. And so the Bible tells that story and it tells it for about the last 7,000 years if you go back to. Adam and Eve, and you think, well, yeah, that's a long, long time, 7,000 years. What's God doing? Well, Peter tells us to the Lord, one day is how long? About a 1,000 years. That's not a one for one. It doesn't mean a day equals a 1,000 years for the Lord. It means that it's like that. And so from the Lord's point of view, he's working at breakneck speed. We're not even to the end of one week in his way of reckoning time, and we're all ready for the rapture. Uh, and the the resurrection of the dead in Christ, and for this to start unfolding. And so uh, we see things happening at a sloth's pace, whereas the Lord is moving at a breakneck speed. But it takes time, and, and, uh, you know, Scripture says that Jesus came at the exact ordained moment in history, uh, and he will come again at the same time. And so um, whether it is now or in the future Great Tribulation... Christians are persecuted and martyred for the word of God and for the testimony which they hold. There are currently in America movements and mandates, uh, pending legislation and proposed laws that essentially make it criminal to preach what God's word condemns as sin. California Globe uh, titled an article and the title says it all. The 2021 list of family values killer bills is out and it's bad. If you want to read about the uh, Equality Act, you can go to heritage.org and look for their uh, article on the Equality Act and what it does to churches and Christian schools and things like that. Uh, So, Jesus promised the church that he would keep us out of the Great Tribulation, but we know things are going to get worse as time approaches, and therefore each of us can expect a moment of decision when no matter the human cost, you must take your stand. For Christ. Second, verses 12 through 17, you hear the voice of martyrs on the earth. Jesus marked the midpoint of the great tribulation when he said, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. It isn't our subject. I don't want to go off on any tangents. Sometimes when you're talking about prophecy, it's difficult because You're in the Revelation, the next thing you know, you're in Zechariah, then you're in Ezekiel, then you're back to Revelation, then you're in Micah, then you're, it's like, I I can't even follow my own train of thought, let alone, you know, because you get on sidetracks. But the abomination of desolation is the Antichrist going into the holy place of a rebuilt Jewish temple in Jerusalem and demanding worship. Okay, so, but set that aside. Our interest is that Jesus said this would mark the midpoint of the apocalypse, And then he went on to tell his disciples what would follow over the next three and one half years. And so as we go through the revelation, you'll see that there are clearly uh, three important periods, the first three and a half years, the middle of it, and the last three and a half years. And so Jesus talks about these events at the midpoint to the end. He says, there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. When Jesus opens the sixth seal, we read about these catastrophic events in the heavens that he said would take place. And so verse 12, I looked when he opened the sixth seal and behold, there was a great earthquake The sun became black as sackcloth of hair. The moon became like blood. Stars of the heaven fell to the earth, which could be translated asteroids or meteors. uh, As a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. You have to say that John saw the awful final judgments that precede the second coming of Jesus. Jesus. This isn't just some of the judgments we're going to read about. I mean, this is cataclysmic stuff. Asteroids and meteors hitting the earth, every mountain and and island affected, the sky rolling backwards. I mean, this this is the end. And you'd think that all there was left to do was to open the seventh seal and see the second coming of Jesus Christ. But to John's and our surprise, we're going to find out that the seventh seal is not the second coming. When Jesus opens the seventh seal, seven trumpets are going to be blown in succession. The seventh trumpet is not the end. When the seventh trumpet is blown, seven bowls of God's wrath are going to be poured out on the earth in succession. And then when the seventh bowl is poured out, we finally read, a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. The sixth seal brings us to the end of the great tribulation but then the seventh seal flashes back to show us everything that led up to that end. So it's a flashback. Now, flashbacks, well-known storytelling device. I'm sure you can think of a movie that is one of your favorites that has a, uh, maybe it starts at the end and you're scratching your head saying, huh, why is Megamind falling through the sky like that? And then he tells the story. I knew some of you have seen Megamind. Great movie, by the way. And so, and, and then it goes back and it tells the story, and then it picks up where it left off with him falling to the earth, and then it shows you the real end. Staying with Westerns, some of you who are more my age, uh, in John Ford's The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, the main action of the film is told in a flashback, and then there are flashbacks within flashbacks. And so that's what's happening here, I believe, because you have to say, you have to say that The Sixth Seal is catastrophic it's not anything that happens in the first three and a half years. I mean, it's terrifying. It's it's men hiding themselves, we'll see in a minute. And so, But it's still not the end in the sense that Revelation goes back and says, now, let me tell you what leads up to that, and then we'll get back to it with the pouring out of the seventh bowl. Now, the Revelation timeline, it can be a little confusing because of the flashbacks. Most of the time, we'll see that information is in the text that identifies whether it is at the beginning or the midpoint or the final three and a half years. And so you can follow the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls, or sometimes they're called vials, and that is in sequential order. But some of the chapters in between are not necessarily in sequence. They just tell you about the different events that you need to know about. Uh, because in addition to being the word of God, Revelation is a great piece of literature. It is a great story that is told in a great way. And so verse 15, and the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, that's everybody, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand it? Meteorites will be striking the earth like a hailstorm. Colossal, unprecedented seismic catastrophes will collapse mountains and islands. There will be global atmospheric disturbances. Instead of turning to the Lord in repentance and receiving the forgiveness of their sins, lost human beings will seek refuge in the rubble. They prefer being entom- entombed rather on the earth than to see Jesus enthroned. And so knowing that it's the Lord, having come through the great tribulation to this very end with the cataclysmic things that are happening and knowing that Jesus is returning. They say, we want to be under the rubble of the earth because that's where we belong. We love the earth more than heaven. Thus begins the beginning of the new beginning. And, uh, you know, sometimes we slip into it too. We talk about, well, this is the end, you know. This is the beginning of the new beginning when God will finally and once and for all deal with sin and come out the other end with uh, the humans that we all want to be for eternity. Refuge in the rubble. Think of all the places of refuge men prefer over Jesus to this ruined earth. There are the four Ps, philosophy, psychology, politics, and pharmacology. They they are places, there are probably some other places too, but they didn't begin with P and I didn't want to use them, so... Alliteration, so important for the modern pastor. But, uh, but those are places people look to for comfort and strength and help and peace. And, you know, everybody's in a turmoil. You know, maybe, maybe politics can help us. Let's vote this guy in or that guy out. Let's recall this person and put this person in their place. Let's do it. And we, we are political beings. We live in, in, in a body politic. We're to participate in politics. I'm talking about people putting their trust in the, any political system to ensure peace, to bring peace, to do anything like that. One thing I think—I'm I'm not an expert on this, of course. I'm not an expert on anything, so you know that. But I'm going to say this anyway. Uh, one thing I think we're noticing is that the fewer Christians that we have in this country, the worse this country is getting. And our—you know—while we're fighting for these different laws and rights and all this stuff, don't forget that the most important thing is for. You you know, when you call your congressman because you want him uh, for or against something, you might mention to him that he should believe in Jesus Christ. Because if he or she gets saved, then all of this vaporizes, right? Just imagine what a joy it would be if Calvary Chapel of Hanford ran the world. Right? Everything would be great. I actually think it would be better because you you know, I'd li- at least 99% of us are Christians, right? I mean, there might be a, a, a heathen or two here in our midst, but <laughs> the idea is that politics isn't going to do it. Neither is psychology. Neither is philosophy. And pharmacology, by that I mean that just people th- thinking that, hey, I'm going to uh, kind of knock one back. Whether it's alcohol or prescription drugs or illicit drugs or marijuana. Uh, or whatever it might be you know this is a place people go to for refuge because they just can't take it anymore then there's the big r religion i will run to buddhism or hinduism or uh, mormonism i'll become a jehovah's witness i'll do this you know and, and i'll i'll begin to work my way to heaven you're already behind the eight ball buddy You were born a sinner. You can't go back and and redo that. And you wouldn't be able to anyway because you're you're sinning before you even know it. And then there's this whole thing in the Bible about sin being put in your heavenly account. Uh, It's already there. It needs to be wiped out by Jesus on the cross. I don't know why the other day I was thinking about who's the the philosopher that said tabula rasa, blank slate? Was it Descartes? Some of you know, you're smart. Hey, I study philosophy, and I don't know, but there was one of the old philosophers. He said, "You know, we start off as a blank slate, and then it's whatever the environment uh, writes on us." Okay, Russo. who? Russo. Russo, Daniel Russo from from the Karate Kid. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Okay. Uh, anyway, so it's like you you've had babies, right? You see a baby, they're wicked. They have an absolute sin nature. There is nothing more selfish than a baby. They want what they want when they want it, and it doesn't matter that you haven't slept. It doesn't matter you can't afford it. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. You've got to go to work. ah! How many of you, uh, don't raise your hand. I don't want to know. We did the whole, uh, I know, we've got time. Uh, We did the whole schedule thing with our kids. No matter how much they screamed, we waited until... It's past the statute of limitation, so I can tell you this now. No matter how much they screamed, we waited until it was time to feed them. It's amazing how loud an infant can scream. And how quickly they can stop when they see you. I think they're going to die. It looks like they're going to die. Oh, hi, you got my food? It's crazy. Sin. And so religion religion can't help you. Even the greatest religion ever, uh, you know, organized, the Jewish religion can't help you. It only points you to Jesus Christ where you're saved by God's grace through faith. You can't work your way to heaven. You won't get there by deeds. Christian therapists put it this way. Any refuge that I create is something akin to a cardboard box in the rain. The harder the rain the more boxes I go through. And so ultimately, whatever box you're in, one of the ones I mentioned or one of the other ones, it's going to rain, meaning you're going to have troubles. And your box is going to fail. It's going to leak and collapse. And how many of us, before we were Christians and maybe sometime even after, went from box to box to box? I'll try this. I'll try politics. I'll try psychology. I'll try philosophy. I'll get stoned. How about religion? Because we're looking for that connection, that eternity in our hearts. The Bible says that God has placed eternity in our hearts. And nothing that this world has to offer can fit in that place in our heart. Only Jesus can. He is our refuge and he is our strength. And so that other stuff pales in comparison to the peace in which he offers, peace that passes all understanding, and the indwelling Holy Spirit by whom you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Right? Death and Hades conquered by the Lord, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. The Lord is coming for his church, and when he does, he'll resurrect the dead in Christ and rapture living believers Could be tomorrow, could be a million years from now. I don't think it will be. I'm just exaggerating. But it's imminent as far as we're concerned. And I think you can read the newspaper and read the book of Revelation and read the little apocalypse all side by side and say it really can't go on much longer. We're right at that place.